I am thankful that I can be here. Just listening to that song, I remember singing it with the choir when I was a freshman here a few years back, um, about 30 almost. And uh, Tony, thank you. Um, oh, again, about 30 years ago, I remember working on the farm and uh, spending lots of time. Uh, I don't tan, so I just spent myself a perpetual red all summer long was my complexion. But I remember distinctly um, the lessons I learned. And uh, what a blessing to have a farm program here. So it's a blessing to be here. One more thing that I'd like to share before I get started is some of you are familiar with Piedmont Valley Youth Bible Camp. If you have got young people between ages 12 and 17 and they're looking for a fun, spiritual, lifting, uplifting experience this summer here in Heartland Campus from June 5 to June 12 will be the Piedmont Valley Youth Bible Camp. Uh, I'm looking forward to it personally because I got to talk about First John a little bit more there. I will be there and several people I was meeting who came here to visit will also be there looking forward to it. Um, so if you are not quite sure what to do with part of your summer, or maybe you have some young people in your family who are not quite sure what to do with part of their summer, uh, Piedmont Valley Youth Bible Camp. All right, before I, I start, I always like to just make sure uh, I know who I am and who he is. You just bow your heads with me. Father, it is acknowledgement that it is your word that has the power. It is your spirit who brings the conviction. And we are simply your people here waiting. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard the expression, so-and-so didn't fall too far from the tree? Yes, maybe you know someone who really looks like their parent or grandparent or some way like that. I have a son that looks very much like my father when he was younger. And yeah, yeah, we call it the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Well, John uses this concept when he's talking about Christians. Could you turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 3? 1 John, chapter 3, and we will start with verse 10. And this uh, passage is kind of direct. And again, as we've mentioned, when we're looking at John's writing, John does not have a problem, the inspiration, saying it the way it is. Um, we're going to see a lot of that as we're going through our study today. First John chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. So in other words, uh, he's about to tell us something that can tell us. Okay, here you can tell who's a child of God and who's a child of the devil. Um, very direct. He says, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that what? Loves not his brother. So if you want to find a person, if they're not loving their brother, you can know instantly, okay, well, we know who they're not related to. Um, you can tell that they're not related to God. And then he says this in verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should what? Love one another. So I, I find it interesting. Uh, you have in 1 John, we looked at last night, chapter 1 and verse Five. This then is the message which we have heard of him. The only other time you see that concept being rephrased is here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. In 1 John 1, 5, it is God is light. Here in 1 John 3, 11, it is that we should love one another. And as we studied last night, that is the same thing. 
So very, very unique picture putting it together. Children of God are those who do righteousness. Children of God are those who love one another. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So this is um, a picture. If I want to recognize a child of God, here's how I recognize a child of God. Their hair is just right. Their clothes are just right. Their plate at lunch is just right. What they're listening on their earphones is just right. Is that how I recognize, per se, a child of God? Not necessarily. In fact, what we're being told here is I can recognize a child of God by how they treat the people around them. That is the biggest indicator, uh, if you could use the word litmus test, right, of what is true Christianity. Notice the flip side. If we, uh, verse 12 says, uh, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. So when you say was of that wicked one, you're implying that he's born of him, right? That's the, the, the picture, a child of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So you can tell a child of God by the way they treat others. And you can tell a child of the devil by how they treat others. It continues in verse 14. At the end of verse 14, we didn't finish the verse. It says this, He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Verse 15, Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding with him. So here it is. Just a, a brief introduction as we get started today. We can tell who we're related to by how we treat others. So we looked at the concept, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Uh, you can tell I am my father's son by looking at my eyes. My father and I have the same eyes. You can tell that I am my mother's son by looking at other parts of my face. I won't say too much. But I am from my parents. You can tell from the physical characteristics. But when it comes to spiritual things, you can tell who you're related to by how you treat other people. It's the indicator, if you will. So with that being said, how do we know how do we have a connection with God? That's what we want to have. I mean, that's the title of today, Living What You Believe, Doing the Impossible. How, how do we have that connection with God? First, I like to take a little time looking at what God is like. And we will be in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. 1 John 4 verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us what? Love one another. Why? For love is... Of God. Another way for of would be from God. Love is from God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. So if you're born of God, then you are his child, right? So this, this idea, love is of God or love is from God. Um, God is the source of love. I talked about a fruit last night. Do you remember what the fruit's name was? Jirimoya. That's right. Oh, I'm going to talk about another fruit today. And this fruit is much more expensive than cherimoya. And it doesn't taste as good. But it's much more expensive. It's called a densuk watermelon. How many of you have ever heard of densuk watermelon? Okay. 
Densuk watermelon is considered one of the best tasting watermelons in the world. It is green, stripeless, and it's grown on one place on the planet, the North Island of Japan, called Hokkaido. And I apologize for my poor Japanese. It's grown in small batches, and the earliest ones that are harvested are sold for as high as, are you ready, $6,000. Tony, that's my suggestion. We need to get into it. Okay. Um, $6,000 for these watermelons in the first batch. Now, some of the others are, you know, only a couple thousand. But the first ones, $6,000. And a Densuk watermelon is so valuable and so important that you know that it's raised on the soil in Hokkaido that what they do is they send a certificate of authenticity. You better make sure that you have the real deal if you're spending that much money for a watermelon. If you grew a Densuk watermelon in Alabama, it wouldn't be Densuk. If you grew it in Virginia, sorry, it's not a Densuk watermelon. If you grew it in Sweden, it's not Densuk. If you grew it in Africa or Asia, well, it depends what part of Asia, it's not Densuk. It has to be grown on one island. And when you see a Densuk watermelon, you know instantly, I know where that came from, Hokkaido. There is no question. And that is the way it is with true love. When you see it, there's only one source of true love, and that is God himself. He is the source of true love. You notice how I'm saying it. Notice what article is being used. He's not a source of true love. Jesus is the source. And when true love is being shown, you know that God instigated that in one way or another. It's from him. And by the way, I believe that's how the greatest witnessing can take place today. Is when, the own, when, when something from God is in our lives and is poss only possible because God is there. That is a Densuk watermelon of spirituality. It goes on um, when it says at the end of verse 7, for everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. This is a, a, not a cause and effect statement. This is a declarative one. When you see love in a person, true, genuine love, you know it's God. And I, I get nervous when I talk about love because sometimes love is just so messed up in our vocabulary here in North America. Like, I love soba noodles. But that's not true love. You're hearing me, right? I, um, I love history. But that's not true love. The love that we're talking about is, is not an affection for, this is something deeper. It's something that finds its source in only one place in the universe. Densuki can find it one place on our planet. True love source is one source in the whole universe, and that is God himself. It is amazing. Um, it's impossible for someone to truly love who has no connection with God. I can love for my own benefit. Let's face it. A lot of our love tends to be that way. I'll be as kind as I can, but I'm speaking to myself and to all of us here. Oftentimes, when we're in a relationship, we love someone because of what they give us. 
we don't love them because of what we can give them. We love them because of what we get from them. It's selfish love, by and large. Um, you know, uh, and <laughs> I love my job. Why? Because your love makes you feel important. Your job makes you feel important. The job gives you money, whatever it may be. I love my children, as long as they're behaving. I love my spouse because they take care of me. I love whatever it may be because I receive something from them. But that's not the love we're talking about here. The love we're looking at is a love that loves. Remember like we looked at last night? Before it is loved. A love that loves whether something comes or not. Chapter 4, verse 10. So, verse 7, who is the source of love? God is. Just like a densuk watermelon only comes from Hokkaido, right? Now, let's look at verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God for... God is love. Probably one of the most famous uh, verses on the love of God. God is love. Not only is he the source of love, God is love. Uh, he is love personified. Verse 9 puts it this way. In this was manifested God's love towards us, or the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world for what purpose? That we might live through him. So the, God shows his love by giving himself to us so we can live in him. That is awesome. Love is not just verse 10, which is one of the most incredible gifts that could ever be given. God taking the guilt of my past, which, praise God, you don't know and you don't need to know, but God taking my guilt and washing it away, giving me his blood, his life, in exchange for my filth. That's God's love. But it's more than that. He says, Chuck, I'm not going to just work with the past. I'm going to work with the present too. I'm going to give you my life so you can live through me. You don't have what it takes, Chuck, so I'm going to give you what it takes, my love. That's chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Then it says this, Beloved, verse 11, If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're supposed to love other people the way God loves us? Um, I, I heard a marriage seminar once. It went something like this. Uh, a man was frustrated with his wife. And God said, you realize you have been married to her for a few years, and I had been dealing with you for a couple decades. <laughs> right? Like, what has God done for us? And to have that kind of love for someone else, to have that kind of love the way he treats us. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, I, I heard, um, was it Julia yesterday used the phrase hot mess? I think I might have heard her use that phrase. That's us. We are messed up. I stand up front and I speak. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. But there are times, praise God, you don't see it, but I am messed up. I can't, oh man, I can't believe my child did that. And I say, not the way God would have me do it. And I have to go and say, son, daughter, that wasn't God's way. That's not God's love. I apologize and I have to move on. But the reality is most of us, if we're honest, 
really know that there are sections in our life where God's love just isn't there at times. And yet he loves us in spite of it. Let us have that kind of love for other people. Let us have that kind of love for others. You know, there's um, uh, verse 12 is one of my favorite in the book of 1 John. There are several favorites of mine, but this is one of the favorites. It says this, no man has seen God, what? At any time. If we love, what? If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. No one could see God, if I, could re- if I could read it this way. No one could see God, but when we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is made perfect in us, so in a way, God can be seen in us. Now, we talked about apples that are close to the tree, and we didn't fall far from the tree. We've talked about the fact that what God is like is love there in chapter 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I'd like to just take a little bit of time today looking at a few key concepts throughout the book of 1 John that are talking about apples that aren't close to the tree. Ready? We're just going to go through it quickly. And chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Talk in one way yet walk in another way shows that you're not connected to the tree of God. Talk in one way and walk in another way shows that we are not connected with the tree of Christ. The Bible doesn't say in verse um, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and uh, walk in darkness, we lie in, um, what's that phrase? Know not the truth? What's it say? What about um, maybe believe not the truth? Truth is not something that's simply believed. Truth is not something that's simply talked about. Truth is something that is done. And the truth in context of 1 John is its most pure form. Love to God and love to our fellow man, fellow humans. That is the purest picture of obedience to God. And that is a determiner. You know, it would be a whole lot easier for me to simply tell you, um, if you truly believe the 28 fundamentals and you know them inside out, and if I could pull you up on this stage and we could get Dr. Carl to come here and make sure everything's correct, right? And we could test you on your knowledge, and you get it all, heaven is waiting for you. Is heaven based upon knowledge? No. No. Is knowledge beautiful? It is for this purpose, because it shows us Jesus. Every doctrine we believe should make Jesus more beautiful. That's why we have it. God doesn't give us knowledge to say, hey, I just want to see how you're going to do on your test. He gives us knowledge so we can more fully see who he is and be more attracted to him and have his love in our lives. All right, next one. Um, By the way, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Ooh, um... If you say, I know him, but you're not keeping his commandments, knowing him 
and keeping his commandments go hand in hand. So you remember Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 34. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On all these, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Those are the commands of God in context of 1 John, in the context of the Bible. Knowing him, keeping his commandments are connected. Um, let's look at verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. You can say you're a Christian all day long, but if you hate your brother, your profession is empty. Yes? Chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. We looked at this last night, right? Shutteth up his heart from him. How dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Loving with our words, yet not helping with our deeds, is not love. You know the story. Two sons. A man had two of them. He went to his first one and said, Son, I need your help today. I have some work that needs to be done in the vineyard. He said, Sure, Dan. No problem. Actually, that was the second one. The first one said, No way, Dad. I'm not going to go. Don't feel like it. I've got too much stuff to do. And as he's walking away, he's feeling bad for the way he treated his father. And he said, You know what? I think I'm going to go do what my dad asked. So he goes and works in the vineyard. The father doesn't know what's happening, so he goes to the second son and said, Son, I need your help in the vineyard today. Could you go help? And he said, Sure, Dad. I'd love to go help. He waits till his dad turns out of the way, then he goes the opposite direction. Which one of them was truly loving his father? The one who did what his father asked. Simple, not complex. You know, there's a, a story that I've heard told many times. There was a man who was a drunk. He would come home oftentimes, embarrass his wife, and uh, one day she just had too, too much frustration with him coming junk home all the time. So she locked the door. And so he was standing outside the door, and he started pounding on it. Honey, let me in. Just kept pounding, and finally said three little words. I love you. Three little words. I love you. Finally, she had enough of his yelling and screaming. The whole neighborhood could hear it. She opened up her window and yelled out, I've got two words for you. Prove it. And I don't know if God sometimes wonders if that's what's necessary in our lives. It's not talking. It's living that God is looking for when it comes to how we treat other people. You know, there's uh, one last verse I'd like to look at. Chapter 4, verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Someone came up to Jesus and said, okay, I, I want to know who is my neighbor. Remember this? I, I want to know who is my neighbor. Because you're telling me I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, so who's the neighbor? And Jesus said, I've got a story for you. And the story actually was not a made-up parable. It was a real account of something that had taken place. Uh, the, the, the travel, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was not the best side of town. Wouldn't we be the best side of the country, so excuse me. You wouldn't want to get caught there. Yet some man did. He was coming down through. He was going by himself, which is never a wise thing to do in that part. He was stripped of everything he had, beaten and left for dead. And then 
one of the religious leaders of that day, a Levite, comes by, and as he sees what's going on, he recognizes the need of this man. But there's two things that hesitate him. First, I mean, he might get hit by the same people that hit him. But also, he's not sure. Is that, is that guy of the same class I am that I can actually take care of him? He might be of a different group. Oh, I can't do that. So he keeps on his way. Then the next guy comes by, and I'm not sure I've got my priest and Levi back, but he's a priest, and he looks and he says, hmm, feels conviction inside. But again, no, I'm going to move on my way. And finally, a person comes who is actually not a Jew. The person comes is a Gentile, a Samaritan. And he comes and he looks and says, wow, that's terrible. All right. He gets everything he needs to take care of that man, kneels down, picks him up, puts him on his own donkey, walks with him to the inn, dresses him, nurses him all night long, then leaves money with the innkeeper and says, if you waste more, take more, I will bring you when I come back. And Jesus asks, so who's the neighbor? And that's easy to say. Who was the neighbor? The Samaritan one. It's a story we're familiar with, and yet it's a story that God gave not simply so we would know it, but so we would live it. That is the purpose of the Good Samaritan. God is asking for us to love like that. So, any of you have an enemy? No one has enemies here. You know, I I remember someone used to ask me, Chuck, do you have enemies? It's like, no, I don't have enemies. But the longer I go, I start realizing I've got enemies. Am I right? Either you hate them or they hate you. And by the way, hatred should be part of our heart. So I like to think that it's not, no, you, none of you hate anybody, but there's people who hate you. How do you treat them? How do you work with them? You know, I look at this and I say, I, God, I, I can't do what you're asking. I've been around long enough to know that humanly speaking, I don't have that kind of love. But a lot of times people try to do love from their own strength. Do you mind if I read a, this is from a, a really neat book called Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. And here's what she says. The effort to earn salvation by one's own works inevitably leads men to pile up human exactions as a barrier against sin. So you know what? I, I see God's called me to be a commandment keeper and I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Foreseeing that they fail to keep the law, they will devise rules and regulations of their own to force themselves to obey. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'll raise mine. I've been there. I've been there. I have created rules for myself to protect me because I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. All this turns the mind away from God to self. Oh, I wish someone had read this to me when I was in the middle of that. You mean all my effort to do the right thing was actually making it harder? Yeah. His love dies out of the heart, God's love, and with it perishes love for his fellow man, a system of human invention with its multitudinous exactions will lead its advocates to judge all who come short of the prescribed human standard. What? So here I am, I want to do God's will, I want to obey His commandments, and so I start setting up little barriers, okay? I'm not, God never said anything about this, but I'm going to make a rule about this to protect me. 
And God's never talked about this, but I'm going to make a rule about this to protect me. And soon I have myself in a box so narrow that there's no one possibly I can do anything wrong because I'm just standing like this. But in my heart, I'm looking at other people who aren't in a box as small as mine. I start judging them. And it says in my heart, love for my fellow human beings dies out. Are you hearing this picture that's being described here in, ministry, uh, in, in Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing? It says, the atmosphere of selfish and narrow criticism stifles the noble and generous emotions and causes men to become self-centered judges and petty spies. I saw this and have seen this a lot in my life. I've experienced it. It's not an easy thing that I'm talking about. It's not the way God wants us to live. But when you try so hard to somehow get yourself to heaven by your fingernails and not by the blood of Jesus Christ and his life in you, when you try to scrape your way there, not recognize that God wants to do it in you and for you, what happens is love for other people dies out of our heart. And actually, by trying to do the right thing, we become the opposite of what God intended. Scary place to be at. I remember being on um, choir trips. I learned so much on the Three Angels Chorale when I was a student. Uh, we would arrive, um, I hope no one here is from one of those circumstances, but we would arrive at someone's house and uh, we'd have food that was placed on the table in front of us. And we'd have, every now and then, we'd have one of the choir members pick up the food and start reading the label to make sure they were allowed to eat it. And I remember uh, my Bible teacher who has, used to travel with us, he said, put that down. If you're worried about it, just don't eat it. Why? Because that's not loving to the people you're spending time with. Does that make sense? What a, what a lesson. And I, I praise God. For, there's a lot of lessons like that. Um, I praise God for that Bible teacher and Mrs. Mayer who spent a lot of time trying to work through people like me who uh, were in a box. It's not wrong. Trust me. I want to be crystal clear what I'm saying here. It is not wrong for a person to say, I want to do good things and I want to have my mind clean. Praise God. But when we step outside of God's word and we make all these extra barriers and bandages and handcuffs for ourselves to keep us from possibly doing something wrong, and then we start judging others because they don't have the same handcuffs we have, that's a dangerous place for us to be. The Pharisees were of this class. They came forth from their religious services, not humbled with a sense of their own weakness, not grateful for the great privileges that God had given them. Wait a minute, that's what happens? Absolutely. When I am like that and I'm looking at everybody else instead of thanking God for mercy on me, what starts happening is I start thinking I'm pretty good. Man, no one else has got handcuffs as good as mine. No one else is living quite as on the line as I am. And when you do that, you become a judge. Judge not, my friends, lest you be judged. They come forth with spiritual pride. And their theme was, myself, my feelings, my knowledge, my ways. 
Their own attainments became the standard by which they judged others. Putting on robes of self-dignity, they mounted the judgment seat to criticize and condemn. I became an evangelist after some friends encouraged me to consider using my teaching in a public manner. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. Um, see if, because some, sometimes people see something you don't see in yourself. And so you step out and try it. And I tried, and, and I ended up doing public evangelism. And I remember the shock I had as I left my bubble to go into the world of people that were much broader than me. I remember being at one place. I saw a lady coming, and she was helping lead out in the children's meetings. And I looked at her and thought, man, that lady, someone needs to give her a talk on dress reform. That's what I thought in my mind. Okay, I didn't say it out loud. I thought in my mind. And then I found out that she's the one who was holding 10 to 15 Bible studies. So many people were coming in the church, and not because, I mean, not because she was attracting them in a wrong way. I want to be clear about that too, right? Just incredible. And she saw God working miracles in her life day in and day out. And I thought, I guess I have something to learn, God. I did. Because and when I read this, if any of you are misunderstanding it, I am by nature judgmental. Very bad thing to admit on what I'm admitting, but it is a reality. And God has helped me to recognize that he is in charge and not Chuck Holtree. It's not my standard. It's God's standard. We have an awesome God. We need to trust him. So, how does this impossible thing become possible? Oh, we, we've talked about the fact that God is asking for a love that we don't have. And we could try to do the things in our own strength, and we could actually go the opposite direction where God wants us to go. So how does the impossible become possible? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a word that was in the very beginning of this book. In fact, we looked at it last night. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, fellowship. But fellowship isn't used a lot. Did you know that? It's a couple times. But there's another words that are used all throughout 1 John. And this is the secret. This is the impossible becoming possible. Those words are abide, dwell in Him. You see it all through. The word abide from the Greek word menu, is actually used 118 times in the New Testament. More than half of those times are by John. And 24 of those times is in 1 John. 1 John is the abide book. Um, if you have in King James Version, you will see that the word dwell is also used. It's actually the same exact word. Uh, if you have New King James, it just has abide the whole way through. So there is a, a picture of it. Menno means to stay, remain, to not leave, to live. That is what the word abide means. And a couple of the words, places where you see it in, is in verse uh, 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he, got, as, God, as he walked. So if you're abiding, if you're dwelling, if you're living in God, you're going to walk like he does. Makes sense. I can't, um, I can't step into God physically. 
But uh, if I had, uh, I've never worn one, but have you seen those suits where they're like waders and there's a whole body suit? Uh, people use it when they go fishing sometimes. It comes up to about here. So if I stepped into a pair of those and then I'm out walking through the water, I've gone into them and where they go, I go. Or where I go, they go. Both ways, right? That's the picture of me being in God to some degree. I'm in him and where he goes, I go. Um, this idea of being in him, thats I can't walk like him if I'm not walking like him. But I'm with him and he's doing the walking, then I'm walking like him. If it sounds like I'm speaking in circles, it's because I am. Okay? Let's look at chapter two, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. I remember reading this as a freshman saying, whoa, that's a, that's a serious verse. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Well, what is sin? Chapter 3, verse 4. Sin is committing transgression against the law or the commandments. And what are God's commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might. That's the first four. And love your neighbor as yourself, the last six. That's the picture that we see being laid out. And so when I'm abiding in him, I have true, genuine love for God and true, genuine love for everyone around me. This abiding in him, that sounds special. How do we have it? Well, chapter 3, verse 24. Thank you for the uh, scripture reading today. It says, He that keepeth his commandments dwells in him or abides in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by what? The Spirit which he hath given us. So the Spirit is how it's done. God sends his Spirit to come into our hearts and lives, and that's how we live that way. All right. There's so much more. I'm, I'm looking here, but there's a few points that I want to make sure we don't miss. Uh, there are some phrases. I like to just read through them quickly if you're taking notes. Um, when God's love is perfected, perfected in us, that's when we know we're in him. That's chapter 2, verse 5. Um, proof that we are in him is seen when we walk as he did. 2, verse 6. If we are in God, we have confidence at his coming. Chapter 2, verse 28. Those who are in God don't sin. That was 3, 6. By the way, have you ever thought about it? Uh, there is a debate in our world today, uh, even in Christian circles, of whether a person should sin or can stop sinning. or all kind, You know the debate that, that happens out there. Do we have to stop? Any time a person asks me, do we have to stop, I look at them and say, I'm afraid I missed your question. Do we have to stop? See, my understanding of sin is this. Why would I want it? Why would I want to have frustration in my heart and hurt people around me? Why would I want that? I tell you, my desire to be free from sin has only increased the older I get. Because quite frankly, the more people I have potential of hurting. I don't like hurting people. I don't like seeing people around me being hurt. I see what's taking place in our world today and I say, Lord, have mercy. Please come soon. Why? Let the sin stop. I think sometimes we have sin connected with some other things. But this idea, if you keep his commandments, you're in him, and those who are born of God are in Christ Jesus. 
The word dwell is used several times in the King James, and I'd like to just focus on two of them. And uh, let's look at the first one, chapter 3 and verse 24. Chapter 3, verse 24. He that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now, this is part of a larger context, so let's look at verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we do what? We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We're told that what we ask of God, he gives to us because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 23 tells us, just in case we didn't know what the commandments are. And this is his commandment. Do you like it when John is simple like this? Keep his commandments. Oh, by the way, here is the commandment. Here is his commandments. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Two things. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. Contextually speaking then, believing on the name of Jesus and loving one another are obeying the commandments of God an outward proof of an indwelling Savior. Another place, chapter 4, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Um, I love this. It's part of a larger picture. But something that really stands out is this. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Whose love is perfected in us? Whose love is perfected in us? According to chapter 4, verse 13, verse 12. His love. Is your love perfected in you? I know that we're almost done. I promise I'm almost done too, but I just, just will wake up for this last five minutes, okay? Whose love is perfected in us in chapter 4, verse 12? God's love. Is it your love that's perfected in you? No. Whose love is it? God's love is perfected in us. That's what takes place when we're dwelling in each other. I find it fascinating that what we need is not our love being improved. What we need is God's love in us. Now, um, the glove. This is probably one of my favorite gloves. It's seen better days, as you can tell. I bought this at the Charlottesville Mall on discount um, when I first got married. So it's got some age to it. I won't tell you exactly how much. And, um, oh, and it's warm. It's a, it's, a, it's a great glove. I've been using it for a long time, and uh, it, it does everything that I want it to do. However, you probably wouldn't want to buy these gloves from me. Um, I'm assuming that because uh, they got all my sweat in them and all that stuff, and they've been ripped and torn apart, but they're my gloves. They're, they're special. They're valuable to me. I'm very glad I have them. Um, here we go. It's a pen. This is uh, from my dad's log hauling business. Okay. Glove. Pick up the pen. Okay, glove, pick up the pen. 
Can't do it. Come on. Bad glove. The glove, can it pick up the pen? Are you sure this glove can't pick up the pen? It can't pick up the pen. The glove doesn't have the capabilities to pick up the pen. It's not possible. No matter how hard it tries, it can't even try because it doesn't even know. And yet, sometimes we think that we've got what it takes to do what God asks us to do by ourselves. That somehow we can love. It's impossible. What we need is Him in us. And when He comes in us, regardless of how holy in the wrong way we are, regardless how dirty and stinky and smelly we are, when God is in us, we can do things we'd never be able to do without Him. It's not us that does it. It's Him in us that does it. I don't have it, but He does. He can do everything, but for some reason, He likes doing it through me. He likes to give me the experience of service. And the only way I can get that experience of service is for Him to live out His life in mine. He can do it without me. I believe the work could be done in many ways better sometimes without us. And yet, the only way we could ever do it is with Him in us. If for some reason you're trying to do evangelism, if some way you're trying to make things right with messed up relationships inside your family, if for some reason you're trying to fix things in your work and you're doing it without God, you're as useless as that glove. You're attempting the impossible. Only Christ in you, only his life flowing through your life can make it happen. And when it does, battered as you may be, messed up as we may be, we can still do something because God is in us. There is power, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. There is power that comes through Jesus. Christianity is not a profession. Christianity is God in us. Christianity is not something that is, is written on and I sign a statement of beliefs. Christianity is the God of heaven living in me. Christianity is not some kind of covenant that I make and write out. Christianity is God coming and living in me. Christianity is not what we've made it to be. Our world has made Christianity a statement of belief sometimes. Christianity is an argument over the theological position of whether the Son of God is the Son of God or He's the Son of God. If you're, you're familiar with the history of our, our, our Christian faith, confusing arguments and documents of, and who's right and who's wrong and you're excommunicated if you're not just right. And yet Christianity, the original Christianity, was the union of the human with the divine so that we could live the same life Jesus left because Jesus was a union of human and divine. That is what God wants. And you say, okay, it's beautiful, but how? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
and renew a right spirit within me. I don't have what it takes, Father. Please do it. Create in me a clean heart. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And then that quotation from last night. Lord, take my heart. I can't give it. It's your property. Keep it pure because I can't keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, God. Fashion me. Raise me in a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. Do it, God. Please. I can't. Lord, take my heart. Do you want God to take your heart? I used to think, God, I give you my heart. And then I start to realize I can't even do that. I just have to beg, God, do something with me. Lord, take me. Do you want him to take your heart? I do. Do you want him to do something in your life that you can't do on your own? Can we pray to that end? Our Father, We're not here today because we're great in of ourselves. We're here today because we're searching and loving you. We ask, Father, that you would revive in our lives what real Christianity is, and that is you and us, a union of your life with ours. We ask for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.